We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friend at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. Okay, we're going to get out of the gate relatively quickly here because there was a school shooting in Iowa today. The good news is, and if I can say this, only one person died. Uh, this was in Dallas County in Perry, Iowa, and they're doing a news conference right now. So we're going to sample this here just for a little bit. Explosive device? I'm, I'm sorry, one of you? Explosive device? Yes. What else can you tell us? Uh, not much about it other than it was uh, pretty rudimentary and it was rendered safe by, like I said, the state fire marshal and the ATF. Can I ask a question to the governor? Um, given that the investigation is ongoing and this is a local state matter, you know, however, the eyes of the world are on Iowa uh-huh. over the next 11 days. How should the candidates running for president talk about what happened? Well, I'll let them. Yeah, I'll let them decide how they're going to talk about it. Uh, We're going to focus on the investigation, and we're going to focus on making sure that we provide the resources that the community, the teachers, the staff, those that are involved, the families, that we're providing the resources that they need during this difficult time. So that's what I'm going to be focused on. State of Iowa is going to be focused on, and I'll let the candidates decide what they're going to focus on. Thank you. We're going to take no more questions at this time. Okay, so we kind of got at the uh, tail end of that news conference, but you have um, six people were shot. Now, I'm, I'm a little confused here. Was the shooter okay. also, did the shooter kill himself? Yeah, let's, let's back up and see. So we've got one person dead, and that is a sixth grade student. Mm. Uh, four students are injured, and one teacher has been injured. When the police arrived on the scene, like within seven minutes, they found the suspect with a self-inflicted gunshot wound dead somewhere in the school. They also found a self-improvised explosive device, which they said was rudimentary, and they quickly disabled it. So we, we have their reports, and there was a question along these lines of the, uh, the sheriff and the officials at this news conference in Perry, Iowa, a couple of minutes ago. But uh, TikTok has deleted the account of this kid, Dylan Butler, who apparently is the the shooter at Perry High School today. And what's interesting, and we've had several accounts of this, and by the way, I don't know what this means, but what I do know is that the Nashville shooter was trans. Uh, there have been a couple other of these shootings that have been trans shooters. Uvalde, there was a rumor that that person was also trans, but I think that was blown up. But this is someone who is uh, clearly LGBTQ+, Alphabet Mafia, and also trans. What does that mean? I don't. Is there a trend here with some of this? They're, they're talking about motives and in, in what we're going to find out here. But let's figure, or at least admit this, that in the Nashville situation, they still haven't released that manifesto. So there's questions that I think some people know the answers to down in Nashville, but they certainly don't 
let us know, or they haven't let everybody else know, which I think is interesting. So that's the very latest on that. How's everyone doing today, Fred? Thank you, Sue. How are you? You're welcome. Uh, fine, thanks. It just feels weird to say that after that. Well, but yeah. I know. And you know, the fir- it was one of the first things I saw this morning. I think it was the first day back at school for this particular district. Right. And Fred, it's the the same thing every time I see this. I'm like, oh God, please. I just didn't want. We don't ever want a big massacre. But the amount of times that I've come on the air here at two or three o'clock, I was on at two on the other station, and I've had to talk about you know multiple fatalities at a school shooting is just and and i think terrible and i think the good thing about this shooting if there is a good thing is that it happened around 7 30 in the morning so school there hadn't even started schools, right students there, the band was there practicing right um so that's probably why the number count was so much lower okay well let me uh, as we get started here we got a bunch of stuff that we're going to cover uh michael goodwin i'm very much looking forward to michael the new york post his newspaper is the story or the paper that really broke the claudine gay plagiarism story mm. after uh you know her abysmal hearing a month and a half ago michael's got some thoughts on that we'll have um Sue's News in the next hour, and Julie Kelly, who really does some great work out there with Substack, and in this particular case is on Real Clear Investigations. She's got a piece that is called The FBI Tainted Whitmer Kidnap Plot. You've heard next to nothing about this. This is Gretchen Whitmer, the governor of Michigan, and the detail. Fred, did you read this story at all? Yeah, it's pretty incredible. It is crazy, and the fact that nobody's talking about it, when you hear the details of this, we got Dave Strom from Hot Air is going to weigh in on some of the stuff, including the shooting in Iowa later today as well. Now, as we were, Sue, as we were wrapping up the show yesterday, this video started going viral, and we we played some of the audio of the situation at the courtroom in Nevada. It was nuts. Like when I when I tweeted this out, it was like I said, "Holy Jerry Springer!" Because it was just a crazy scene. You don't see very much of this. I said to Fred earlier, "I'm I'm actually I haven't seen this. I'm actually surprised it doesn't happen maybe more often because typically." Well, maybe not typically, but most of the time I think that with defendants in a courtroom, when I've been a defendant in a courtroom, I didn't have shackles on. I'll say that. I've really never been a defendant. Well, I have. Actually, I have. That was my Uh, marijuana charge in 1984. But I I didn't have shackles on, and I didn't rush the judge, even though he put me on two years probation for something ridiculous at the time. But I said to Fred, I'm almost surprised it doesn't happen more often. And we're talking about a guy who was sentenced who launched himself— at the judge, over the bench. I mean, literally, he flew through the air at this woman. Well, I have some different audio that we didn't play yesterday oh. because what you're going to hear here is, I don't know how to pronounce this guy's name. He's 30 years old. You you tell me, Sue. You ready? Uh-oh. D-E-O-B-R-A. D-E-O-B-R-A. D-E-O. It sort of seems like it's Debra, but it's a guy. Is I don't it know. Diobra? Maybe it's just Diobra. Diobra is what it looks well, like. Well, maybe he was so pissed off that somebody named him Deborah that that's why he you know, jumped at the judge yesterday. I have no idea. But he pleaded guilty in November to attempted battery with substantial bodily harm. And the video that was kind of making it in first, the first video that I saw was very short. It was like a 10-second clip. And then we saw more of it. Mm. <clears throat> I had to cough. I apologize. So listen to this. This is what happens Right before, Fred, what did we label this? Do you remember? Um, it's Judge, judge yeah. Nat so Sound. This is what happened immediately before when this guy is pleading with the judge to go easy on him for the attempt. There's an attempted battery charge, but this guy's got a long rap sheet. And here's what it sounded like yesterday before all this happened. If I can get the damn thing to work. I feel like I shouldn't be sent to prison, but if it's appropriate for you, then you have to do what you have to do. But I figure that... No, if I'm in a better place in my life, I'm not doing drugs, I'm not, you know, I'm not out there committing crimes now. Three felonies, a gross, nine misdemeanors, multiple DVs, 
Got a lot going on, sir. Yeah, um, I, I just heard, like... Battery on a protected person, robberies. I appreciate that, but I think it's time that he gets a taste of something else. Because now, so that's when she's saying, okay, and he even said, you know, I understand if you're going to send me to prison, but I think I've really righted the ship here. And she said, yeah, you know, looking at all the record here, which is uh, essentially something that should have happened in St. Louis, certainly with um, many cases that we've come to know over the last couple of years, especially when Kim Gardner was there. But then she's about to sentence him. I just can't with that history. In accordance with the laws of state of this court. Then it goes nuts. And he leaps over, jumps on top of her. The bailiff and a couple other people try to drag him away. They're throwing haymakers back and forth. You can't see a lot of what happens because it happens below where, what would you call that? The, the podium or wherever the, the judges, the dice yeah. the judge is sitting on. But that was a nutty moment yesterday. The judge was sure. injured. Uh, the bailiff uh, had she to was? Get stitches. Yeah, oh, injured. Fred. She was home today recovering. Um, the bailiff, I think, who threw himself at the suspect when he came hurling across, separated his shoulder and needed to get stitches. Good grief. Well, I hope he's okay. <laughs> well, you know what this uh, goes to show? She was right to yeah. lock him up. I mean, up. are you kidding me? He's trying to make the case that he should be on probation. Uh, everything's fine. And then all of a sudden he realizes, the moment he realizes he's going to prison or going to prison again, he goes nuts. I think there's a pretty indica- good uh-huh. indication that he's a little unhinged uh-huh. and should be. Yeah, let's just say it this way. The judge was vindicated, Sue. Yes, she was. I don't was. think there's any doubt about that. Okay, I have I have this... Um, Interview with Michael coming up, but there's a couple of things from yesterday that I didn't get to, and I don't want to forget to do them. Uh, one of them, Fred, actually, this this came today, but I have to play this because we're going to talk about the border a little bit with Michael Goodwin as well. And I love the fact this is uh, our legacy media, CNN, Caitlin Collins, talking about the border. Now, Sue, we've, we've, well, we sit here every day and we see thousands, 300,000 people last month. There's a huge caravan of 15,000 people heading our way right now. I mean, th- these are not made-up images, no. right? And this is all pouring into the country. We don't know who these people are. There is no border restraint. It is really disturbing. But here's the spin on CNN. Which at the border, it's obviously a photo op. We've seen Democrats and Republicans. Wait, hang on. Let me let me just put this into a little bit more context. Because what happened was the Speaker Mike Johnson and a bunch of other members of Congress went down there to look at the border. You know, like something that the person that was appointed as the borders are, the Vice President Kamala Harris should have done, never did. Which at the border, it's obviously a photo op. We've seen Democrats and Republicans do it. I mean, he accused President Biden of when he visited the border of being a photo op. But just the fact that they're not in Washington, where those negotiations are happening, talking to uh, the lawmakers in the Senate, their colleagues in the Senate about actually passing bills that would actually fix this. Because no matter what you talk about, what the president could do here or, or mayors or other lo- people, it's really Congress that everyone looks to that, that time and time again yeah. doesn't actually do anything. Does Caitlin just get, I'm sure, you know, all reporters have sources, but I'm just telling you there was a text from some Democrat staffers say, hey, Caitlin, let's spin it this way, because really what they should do, they shouldn't go down and do a spectacle and, you know, a photo op. Photo op, hey, maybe we're doing this because the only people that are showing the mess of the board is Fox News. Maybe the rest of you legacy media should cover what the hell is happening, because here's what I know. Okay, I know that 80% of the country, if they are exposed to this, would be horrified. Now, if you hate America, if you're progressive, if you don't care about this stuff, well, then you think it's fine to flood the borders. But there are plenty of common sense Democrats here in Missouri, in Iowa, in Nebraska, in Texas, in Arizona, in Florida, every state, even in New York, that think that this is awful. And mm. it's doing some serious damage to the country. But, of course, we're just xenophobes, and you know right. that, that's what that's all about. Um, let, let me play Vivek. 
before I get to Michael, because this was pretty good, and I wanted to get to this yesterday. He's in Iowa, Vivek Ramaswamy. He's still running for uh, for president, and he's asked uh, some questions. And, and the reporters, this is, again, sort of a media thing, where the reporters want to pin him down into saying something about white supremacy, right, with everything that's been going on in the country, Claudine Gay, Harvard, et cetera. Do you condemn white supremacy and white nationalism? I mean, what this guy, who are you with? Which Washington, Washington Post. All right. So, yeah, there's a shocker. Right. Do you listen to the question? Let, let's go back. This is the best the Washington Post has right now to say, do you condemn white supremacy? I knew him like everybody. Wow, that's Trump. Hold on. I messed this up again here. Um, gosh, darn it, Fred. What did I do there? OK. What was that label? Do you remember, Mr. Bottomer? Because I just it just <laughs> um, kind of came off of the. Yeah, I don't know. Did you have a label of that? Yeah. Hang on. It just did some weird things. Here we go. Do you condemn white supremacy and white nationalism? I mean, what this guy, who are you with? Which, which, Washington, it's Washington Post. Yeah. All right, so potato, potato. Yeah. Okay. Of course, I condemn any form of vicious racial discrimination in this country. But I think that the... Presu- he, he didn't say white note, note that he did not say white supremacy. Yeah. Oh, that's a great horror. You're, you're going to hear this. The of your question is fundamentally based on a falsehood that that really is the main form of racial discrimination we see in this country today. Institutionalized racism is institutionalized racial discrimination that we see that doesn't come from somehow discriminating against people on the basis of some tenet of white supremacy. It's based on affirmative action. It's based on actually discriminating against people on the color of their skin in a way that's actually institutionalized today. Yeah, we've seen it at Harvard in the last two months. Was there a point in our history, at points in our prior national history, where there have been vicious forms of anti-black or anti-brown discrimination throughout this country after the Civil War and otherwise? Yes. But you're looking in the rearview mirror and using that to pose a question today that is so far removed from what the reality is in America today. This myth of white supremacy, the closest you can find is Juicy Smollett, where you all were actually speaking of trust in the media, jumping up and down. I love that he goes Juicy, right? Juicy Smollett. Some false narrative. The best way you're able to find your best instance of white supremacy was a guy who was actually paying his other fellow people (laughs) to be actually staging something that didn't happen. Yeah. And so stop picking on this farce of some figment that exists at some infinitesimally small fringe of the American public today to open our eyes to the actual real threats that we face. And I think that it's frankly questions and framings like that that has caused the American public to lose all trust in the mainstream media, I'm sorry to say, for good reason. Look, I've got my issues with Vivek, but that was a grand flipping slam on that Washington Post reporter. And by the way, he didn't back down after that either. You didn't say that you condemn white supremacy. I'm not not going to recite some catechism for you. I'm against vicious racial discrimination in this country. So I'm not pledging allegiance to your new religion of modern wokeism, which absolutely fits fits the test. I'm not going to bend the knee to your religion. I'm sorry. I'm not asking you to bend the knee to mine, and I'm not going to bend the knee to yours. But do I condemn vicious racial discrimination? Yes, I do. Am I going to play your silly game of gotcha? No, I'm not. And frankly, this is why people have lost trust. And I know you're going to go print the headline tomorrow. I already know this. We already know how your game works. Vivek Ramaswamy refuses to condemn white supremacy because you asked a stupid question. The reality is I condemn vicious racial discrimination in this country, but the kind of vicious and systematic racial discrimination we see today is discrimination on the basis of race in a very different direction. You want to know what the best way is to end discrimination on the basis of race? Stop discriminating on the basis of race. Ta-da. I thought that he was outstanding. I mean, that that was really good stuff. And again, how many people hear that exchange? I'm guessing they didn't roll that one on CNN, no. right? Or they didn't really feature those comments in the Washington Post. All right, Michael Goodwin. And we're going to talk a little bit. Michael and I are going to talk about Bill Ackman, this hedge fund billionaire who, you know, was giving a lot of money to Harvard. And he just 
wailed on them this week on this DEI stuff. And it's really important when you know the history. So we'll have a conversation with Michael, and I'll get to some of the things that Bill wrote yesterday on X, formerly Twitter, coming up. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. Hey, relatively big Bush Stadium concert announcement earlier today. We'll get to that at 407. Vicki Bryant from the Cardinals is going to join us with all of those details. Michael Goodwin from the New York Post back with us this afternoon to talk about Claudine Gay and some of the Harvard stuff, amongst other political issues. Michael, Happy New Year. Welcome back. How are you? So far, so good. How were your holidays? Anything (laughs) special out there? Excellent. Uh, You know, lots of time with family, time to kind of lay low. And uh, then, of course, there is the the news flow, which never stops these days. So it was a mix of uh, celebrating and uh, reconnecting with old friends and then back to back to the keyboard. I don't know if you have I try like when I'm on vacation or even during breaks and I had some time off over the holidays, too. I really do try to stay away from the news cycle. It's hard to do, given what you do and what I do. But I try to stay away from it. But, you know, Claudine Gay, let's kind of segue here. She couldn't really stay away from the news cycle the past couple of weeks. (laughs) Could she, Michael? She was the news cycle. Yes, she was. (laughs) And she is. Uh, Look, I think it was the right outcome, but there are still lots of open questions about it, uh, including the the haphazard way that she was, quote-unquote, cleared by the uh, board that appointed her. And as I wrote early on in this saga, that I didn't think they would fire her uh, because I thought that they were protecting themselves, that it, the real issue here is why did she get hired, what did they know, and then when the New York Post, my paper, uh, wrote asking about a series of allegations. Uh, The paper was put on hold for a couple of days and then got a lawyer's letter, 15-page lawyer's letter, threatening defamation lawsuits if any of this was printed. Now, what who who gave that order who said that was okay so i think the board has a lot of dirty hands here it was to hire uh claudine gay it was the fastest search in the history of harvard for a president uh we know that they didn't apparently uncover any of the plagiarism allegations uh so there's just so many questions about how she got the job in the first place i mean bill ackman i believe and others have said there were reports in-house that no whites were even considered, that this was a job reserved for a black person. Of course it was. Uh, yeah. I don't know if that's true, but it is out there. And I think those are the kinds of questions, given the results, 
And given the poor vetting that was done of her, those are the kinds of issues that need to be addressed by the board. And they still have not come out of their hidey hole. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see if they do, because those are very important questions. And I love the reaction from the, the rest of the media. Harvard's first black president, a woman named Claudine Gay, resigned her position. Everything from a bad faith hearing on campus anti-Semitism to unfounded plagiarism charges were thrown at her. I don't think it's fair to say all of her critics were racist, but certainly a few of them were. It looks as though she was targeted. This is a race issue just as much as it is an issue about um, anti-Semitism. Michael, as you know, we had this uh, prosecutor here in St. Louis, our circuit attorney, Kim Gardner, who was finally, you know, shuffled out last spring, early summer. But it's the same pattern that exists. She wasn't doing her job. When she was doing it, it was horrible. There were people that were getting injured and killed because she wasn't doing her job, but it came down to race. It was, oh, she is the victim. It's all about white supremacy, and that's what happens in all these cases. It it is a tragedy because I think that the issue with Claudine Gay um, is that she was picked because of her race. Um, I mean, I think that there's no other consideration given to merit because, again, her let me just say, I don't believe that every college president needs to be needs to have a Ph.D. and needs to have a scholarship history. But Harvard does. Harvard, Harvard presidents all are scholars before they become deans and provosts and presidents. And they do independent research in various fields, and they have a good, strong track record among their peers. They're stars. Claudine Gay was not a star, and she was, I, I don't think, even a mediocre scholarship, had had a mediocre scholarship record. One professor said that she would, given the scant work she had done, the lack of any significance to the work, she would be in the bottom 5% of her peers. So why was she picked? I mean, she's not an outside great leader. She's not a CEO, a lawyer, or somebody who came late in life into academia. She was on the track the whole time, but not very good. It wasn't a good track. She, she did not stand out. She was not a star. So you have to assume that she was given extra credit for her race. I mean, that's what Harvard was doing with, it, with uh, admissions of students and until the Supreme Court stopped it. Why should we think they were doing any differently with the hiring of their president? And look, that's fine if you want to do that. But then you better pick somebody who's got a really strong record. And the plagiarism issue is the thing that jumps out of you. I mean, I've read all the plagiarized stuff. It's not insignificant. The, the accusations that she lifted it. I mean, these are some of these are her conclusions. And so to be lifting your conclusions, your your uh, what you think is the finding of the research to be lifting that from someone else. And then, of course, she has refused to release any of the data that she cites for the basis of her conclusion. So it. There's so many questions about this, and it's so sloppy that the whole thing was very beneath Harvard. And that's why I think it's, it's not over. It can't end this way. Harvard has to address what went wrong here. Because as you say, Mark, and as others have said, and as Gay herself has said, it's all about race or mostly about race. I mean, 
let's lay out all the facts then that show why she was hired, why the vetting failed, and why the lies were told in order to protect, protect her. You know, it, it's my understanding also that the Harvard Corporation, they knew some of these plagiarism allegations. I think they ramped up after the congressional hearing, which didn't go so well for her. But they knew about some of this stuff over the summer earlier this year, is my understanding, Michael. Well, it's not clear. I mean, the Post, uh, when the Post uh, wrote to Harvard in about a week after the hearing, uh, with these allegations that were sent to the paper anonymously. I mean, the paper has mm. written about this. Um, they were put on hold, as I said, for two to three days, and then they got this defamation lawsuit threat uh, from Harvard. And in that, it said to the effect, we've checked these allegations. None of them are true. Well, how did they check them? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not clear that they did. They said they did, but they, they arrived at the conclusion that they're all false. Well, then, what was the nature of your investigation? It wasn't done in normal channels. They said they picked three, outside, three independents, but they won't name them. They won't show their work product. So we just, why should we take Harvard's name for it? Their word for it, given what they've done elsewhere yeah. in this case. So I, they've, they've really damaged themselves. As I've written a couple of times, Mark, I have never seen a university su- suffer such vast reputational damage in so short a time. And it's all because of this board of trustees or board of directors, the, co- the corporation they call themselves. You know, if we don't, to your point, Michael Goodwin, if we don't get answers to this, I wonder in the end, what was the downside for Claudine Gay? She probably gets a book deal out of this. She doesn't really suffer any financial consequences because they're going to still pay her. I guess what they were paying her, she's still a professor. So she'll play the victim card and I think move on. That's why so many of these questions that you pointed out, I think are important. And I'm certain that you have full faith and confidence that one of the competing newspapers over there, the New York Times, will aggressively pursue the answers to those questions, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, Mark, the, the New York Times has the Claudine Gay op-ed in today's paper, so she found time to write that quickly. Um, but this is the same paper that published the uh, op-ed, excuse me, the op-ed from the mayor of Gaza. But Oh, yeah, it, I saw that one, too. Right? Yeah, so, yeah. So, it, but it won't publish anything from Donald Trump. It won't publish... Tom Cotton, oh, I know. That, that essay of Tom Cotton's that it published, it put an editor's note in it saying it should never be, never should have been published. So the double standard there is, is it's galling, but it is not surprising. This is what the New York Times has become. You mentioned Bill Ackman, um, and I'm going to get into this because I didn't have time yesterday to read his uh, his essay, which is very long. He put it on X, formerly Twitter, as we say now, 4,000 words. But he goes into, and this is disappointing to say because I don't know if you picked up on this. Mark Cuban has tweeted about DEI and saying how DEI, there's nothing wrong with DEI. Mark Cuban has no idea what he's talking about. He doesn't know what diversity, equity, and inclusion programs have become. And Mr. Ackman has effectively pointed that out in that essay yesterday. I'm going to read some of it, but wow, he laid it out. Absolutely. I I think Ackman has been on this case from the beginning. Um, He's obviously, because he's such a big donor, an alumnus of Harvard, he's obviously got some contacts within the building, within the leadership, and I think he's he's used those to good effect. Um, But look, I I, I think you raise raise the large point here, which is 
the DEI monster is out of control. And it, it is, you know, it's been out there. We all know about it. But it's a little bit like the, uh, you know, the sex classes in grade school. <clears throat> you know, the, the, the grooming for transgender children beginning in early ages. Things that were you hear about once in a while, and they're so odd and awful, you assume that there is a, a, uh, an effort to quash them, that they are limited. It doesn't, you know, it's an oddball case. Mm-hmm. What we found out with a lot of these things in the last year or two is they are not oddball cases. They are numerous examples of these sorts of things happening in schools. And now we find that the DEI monster is much bigger than we could have anticipated. I mean, think about it. If the president of Harvard is picked because of DEI, we have a really, really big problem in this country. You know, the, the one I'll close with this, and I'm just going to be hopeful. And I, I certainly, this will sound like, you know, I have black friends. That'll sound like that line. But I have black conservative friends. Me, I have some black liberal friends, too, that are very vocal, and they would not agree with what I'm saying. But I, I would just hope that there are some African-Americans out there, when they see Claudine Gay playing the victim card, knowing the facts of this at this point, you know, that, that they're as disappointed as some of the rest of us. Well, you're right. Uh, but I, I would rather than just looking at it from the from the perspective of of how other black americans would look at it i think of it in terms of there are as you say black conservatives and black you know progressives and they're going to look at it as as white progressives and white conservatives will look at it and there the sh- the shame of that is everybody will look at it in the way that they were sort of predetermined beforehand, before even knowing the facts. And so when Claudine Gay and Harvard say it's racism, you know, uh, 50% of, 45% of the country says, see, yes, we knew that all along. Maybe 60% based on the media. Yeah, yeah, I mean, on that issue, it could be. But uh, the point being that people will run to their safe spaces on this on this issue without knowing the facts. And I think that's a shame, because if if ever there was a case that cried out for an understanding of the facts, which is why it is so important for the Harvard board to come clean, this case is one that you could say, you know what, she didn't deserve the job. I mean, she got it largely because of her race. She she was promoted up all along when she shouldn't have been. She had there was no reason why she ever got to be even a candidate for the presidency of Harvard based on her scholarship. Um, you would hope that there would be fair minded people who would look at it and see that. But you know, in this country, I mean, look, we have how many people coming across the border every day, and most of the Democrats say, well, we just need more money from Congress to, you know, I mean, in other words, there's always an answer to buy off the, the half of the country that doesn't want for the Republicans ever to be considered right. Conservatives must always be wrong, and if you give them the race card, aha, yeah, yeah, there we right. go. That's the reason. That's the, that's the divisions that worry me. That even this case does not break through. Don't get me started on the border, Michael Goodwin. I was having a good day. I thank you. This was a great conversation. Happy New Year to you. We'll get you back soon. Thank you, Michael. My pleasure. Thank you. Mention that concert announcement. Oh, oh.
This may be part of that concert announcement, Bush Stadium, late huh. September. Are many of your people out there? Did you hear the announcement today? I did. Yeah, well, Sting no, and, I saw it. Before. Sting and uh, Billy Joel. Yeah, we were trying to pin this down yesterday, Sue and I, and there were some rumors and stuff like that. The one thing I was, uh, I, I was trying to squeeze some information, and the one thing I was told is it's not ACDC. There's rumors about ACDC. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's that. It's Sting and Billy Joel, and both have not been back to St. Louis in quite some time. I, I think Sting was go. here for a benefit. Um, I, it's just for me, I've seen those guys so many times. I but haven't. We'll talk about it with Vicki Bryan from the Cardinals. Get some details coming up. Tickets go on sale the, uh, the 12th. So all of the details coming up here in just a few minutes. I mentioned, uh, and I'm, I don't have a lot of time to do this, but it's important, and I wanted to do this yesterday. Bill Ackman is a hedge fund billionaire. He is a big donor to Harvard, and he has not been happy with his alma mater and the way they've handled things after October 7th. And, you know, was certainly pushing for Claudine Gay to be out at Harvard. And he wrote this essay yesterday on X, formerly Twitter. And if you're a, you know, a Twitter blue member, you can write as much as you want. You don't have to do 180 oh, words yeah. or whatever. So, Sue, I can just give you a visual on this. This thing goes on. Oh, and it's, come it's, on. It's 4,000 words. So I'm going to read every word of it oh here. Sue's news will be delayed until tomorrow <laughs> afternoon at 420. No, but I think the... Um, you know, the basics are not that hard to pull out of here. And it's interesting to me because Mark Cuban had a tweet today about what we call DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And it's always kind of hard for me to gauge whether or not the audience is really understanding what we're talking about there. And when we say DEI, and this is where Mark Cuban, you know, he's made a lot of money, and I guess he's a smart guy, but he has no concept of what we're talking about here. And his tweet made that very clear. This is not going out and trying to have a good multicultural mixed representative sample, uh, African-Americans, people of color, you know, whatever, in the workplace. It's not that. It's actually the opposite of that. So here's what Bill Ackman says, and here's how he explains it. He goes, in light of today's news, and he was referring to Claudine Gay finally resigning, but then she pulls the race card and, you know, blames other people for her for her uh, plagiarism, etc., all becomes about just her being a black woman who is a victim. Uh, she said, I thought I would try to take a step back and provide perspective on what this is really all about. This is very important, ladies and gentlemen, and I can't read the whole thing to you. I encourage you, I'll retweet it again this afternoon, read it, share it with your friends, especially your progressive friends, right? Well, not your, they're lost. Stop. Just your Democrat friends. Progressive friends, you can't help them, Okay. He says, I first became concerned about Harvard when 34 Harvard student organizations early on the morning of October 8th, before Israel had taken any military actions in Gaza, came out publicly in support of Hamas, a globally recognized terrorist organization, holding Israel solely responsible for Hamas's uh, barbaric and heinous acts. How could this be, I wondered. When I saw President Gay's initial statement about the massacre, it provided more context for the students' group's statement of support for terrorism. The protests began as pro-Palestine and then became anti-Israel. Shortly thereafter, anti-Semitism exploded on campus as protesters who violated Harvard's own codes of conduct were emboldened by the lack of enforcement of Harvard's rules. So he goes into some of the history of what happened in the aftermath of October 7th. But then he says, a few weeks later, I went to campus to see things with my own eyes and listen and learn from students and faculty. I met with 15 or so members of the faculty and a few hundred students in a small and large setting small and large settings on campus, he said. I ultimately concluded that anti-Semitism was not the core of the problem. It was simply a troubling warning sign. It was the canary in the coal mine, despite how destructive it was in impacting student life and learning on campus. I came to learn that the root cause of anti-Semitism at Harvard was an ideology 
that had been promulgated on campus, an oppressor-oppressed framework that provided the intellectual bulwark behind the protests, helping to generate anti-Israel and anti-Jewish hate speech and harassment. Now, those astute members of the audience will realize that some of us, me included, have been talking about these issues for a long time, way before Harvard, way before October 7th, and it was always framed around BLM and what happened here in St. Louis with Mike Brown in the aftermath of Ferguson, because that's exactly what that was about. It was oppressor, oppress, all of this stuff against the police, et cetera. And this is the indoctrination that takes place, by the way, not only on college campuses, it always has, but in elementary schools these days, right? So Bill Ackman says, I did more research. The more I learned, the more concerned I became, the more ignorant I realized I had been about DEI, a powerful movement that has not only pervaded Harvard, but the educational system at large. I came to understand that diversity, equity, and inclusion was not what I had naively thought these words meant. I think most of the country thinks something different about it. You know, our friend John Seiler, who has come on here and exposed DEI at the University of Missouri and many other institutions, North Carolina University, they've pulled back on it because the lawyers took a look at what John and others were doing and said, yeah, you know what, we've tried this and we're probably going to get sued, so we better back off. And Ackman says, what I learned is that DEI was not about diversity in its purest form, but rather DEI was a political advocacy movement on behalf of certain groups that are deemed oppressed under DEI's own methodology. That makes it convenient, right? Under DEI, one's degree of oppression is determined based on where one resides on a so-called intersectional pyramid of oppression where whites, Jews, and Asians are deemed oppressors. See, when we talk about cultural race theory and uh, CRT, it's really it's intersectionality, and that's why that word gets t- difficult, and I've explained over the years, it gets tough to legislate against um, that kind of stuff because it's so tricky. But Bill nails it here. Look, there, there's a subset of people of color, LGBTQ people and or women who are deemed to be oppressed under this ideology, which is the philosophical underpinning of DEI. And I mentioned Ibram Kendi yesterday, but that's who pushes this anti-racism, right? You're either an anti-racist or a racist. There's no such thing as being not racist. If you are not actively anti-racist as a white supremacist, well, they don't want anything to do with you, right? Under DEI's ideology, any policy program, educational system, economic system, grading system, admission policy, and even climate change is due to its disparate impact on geographies and the people that live there. That leads to an unequal outcome among people of different skin colors, and it's deemed racist. So as a result, and he points this out, capitalism is racist, right? Advanced placement exams are racist. IQ tests are racist. Corporations are racist. Any merit-based program, system, or organization which has or generates outcomes for different races that are at a variance with the proportion that these different races represent, well, that's racist. That's what DEI is. And thank God, and I hope that Mr. Cuban takes some time because Bill Ackman responded to Mr. Cuban, and he did it in a very respectful way today. And he said, uh, Mark, this is kind of what I felt about DEI before I did the work. I encourage you to do the same and revert. Get more at 971talk.com. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.